Are you doing good? Are you ready for the conclusion of Ruth? You know, I just like, after last week, I got, I, for the first time ever as a preacher, I got hate mail. <clears throat> I, for the first time as a preacher, I got threats saying, how could you not finish the book? And I was like, are you, <laughs> I mean, it literally says, wait until you learn how this matter turns out. I was just trying to follow the Bible, guys. I mean, you guys, it was hilarious though, because one person will, that will remain anonymous came up to me and she was like, I, I could not, I could not even wait to see what would happen. I was like, oh my gosh, he's not stopping here. I can't even believe he's not gonna go on. And so I read ahead and I read the rest of the story and I was like, what a novel idea. You could literally turn the page and see the end of the story. That's crazy. We're like, you guys are like tortured souls. You're used to like the ho Hollywood making you wait like three years for a sequel. You know what I mean? You guys are like so used to Netflix and Hulu that you're like, I have to wait till next week. It's like, no, you can read the whole Bible tonight if you'd like to. So, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus raises from the dead. Um, <laughs> I know you haven't gotten there yet. I'm so sorry. So anyway, we're going to finish tonight, but let me ask you this. Are you familiar with this scene? Are you familiar with this type of scenario in a story? Check it, check it. All right, don't preach me down now, check it. There's a story in a character and you instantly fall in love with that character, right? And you're rooting for the character. You're like, yes, I love that dude, he's awesome. And then suddenly, another character and another one, no, no, just another character comes into the scene and immediately the entire audience, you could even say the entire nation, is split into two teams. Do you know what I'm talking about? You familiar with this scenario, right? Perhaps we've saw it in the Hunger Games. Anybody, we had, what, what do we have in the Hunger Games? We had Team Gale versus Team PETA. How many Team PETAs did I have? You, what? Team Gale, right? Yo, so you have, I mean, but think about it, think about it. Here's the problem. When all you knew was Gale, every lady was like, oh my gosh, he's so dreamy, right? When all you knew was Gale, you were like, even the dudes were like, yo, like, like for real though, yo, he's a boss, right? He's like, hey, Katniss, come hunt booze with me, right? And you're like, I want to go buy a bow. I just, <laughs> yeah, he's sick, right? And then all of a sudden, PETA enters the picture and you're like, oh, he cool, right? And now, not, and all, I mean, I'm not Team PETA, but all right, or maybe not Team PETA. How about another one? How about Team Edward versus Team Jacob? <laughs> you can only be on one team, friend, right? Team Edward versus Team Jacob, do I, like, the entire nation was split. Like, I remember at one point, and this is like dating myself now, right? Which is weird, because I'm married. But I mean, like, like when I, back when I was in high school, you'll get that later. Back when I was in high school, I mean, like, girls would get into cat fights over this, right? Like, this wasn't like, oh, you have your opinion, I respect you. It's like, you're wrong! It was like, it was nuts. So, at the risk of causing an outbreak here, like, Team Edward? Yay! Team Edward? Okay, <laughs> there's a dude. I'm not gonna lie. Team Edward. And Team Jacob. Team Jacob? All right. I mean, if you could run on all fours and turn hairy, I can get that. How about the latest one? How about the latest one? When you thought that you did not have to choose, Marvel went and did you a dirty one. And there was Team Iron Man and Team Captain America. Where's my Team Captain at? All right. All the goody two-shoes in the room. And then Team Iron Man? All right. All right. So you're familiar, you guys are like pointing and accusing. I saw him, I saw him, he was Team Iron Man. It's like, it's like a shameful thing. 
And so you're familiar with this scenario, right? You're familiar. Some would call it a love triangle. Some would call it, you know, good guy versus bad guy. But last week in the book of Ruth, our story, right at the very end, man, it's like we were so close. Right at the very end, boom, plot twist. We know Boaz. Boaz is going to marry Ruth. Boaz is going to redeem her. Oh my gosh, he's so dreamy. Even the guys were like, I'm not going to lie, dude. I want to marry Boaz, right? He's just so cool. And then at the last minute, a new character is introduced. Team Boaz. Everybody's like, raw, Team Boaz. Good. I doubt that anybody will be other than Team Boaz in a few moments when we get into the story, but there was a plot twist. We see that right before Boaz is about to redeem Ruth, he says, but wait, and Ruth's heart stops. <gasps> what? What? And he goes, there's another redeemer closer than I. And we waited a whole week to see who this new guy is. And so all the Team Boaz says... You don't know what to say. I don't know. Let's read here. We're in chapter four. Let's check it out. Let's see if this new guy is enough to upset Team Boaz. Here we go. Ruth chapter four. Grab your notes. Grab your Bible. If you have Ruth chapter four open, say, oh yeah. Okay. If you don't have your Bible, you're going to want to follow along. All right, guys, this is, this is a Bible. Let me show you. This has pages. It has a binding. It has a little red string. This right here is not a Bible. This is a phone. And, um, Hi, my name is Sam, and I'm addicted to my phone. Hi, Sam. And so I actually don't use my Bible on my phone because I get a notification, and it's like 10 minutes before I'm back. You know what I'm talking about? Like the teacher's talking. You're like, I'm tracking. I got it. I got a bing. And like 10 minutes later, you're back. So, we, so if you're here, we, we like to use our physical Bibles here and follow along. And so uh, check this out. Let's read the story here. Thanks for being a good example there. Let's read the story starting in verse 1. You ready? Are you ready? Are you on the edge of your seat? Are you sitting forward right now? I like that. Yep. I like that. Sit forward. Here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> now, Boaz has gone, had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it here in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, Redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and then I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And you thought this was going to be a happy ending, huh? So let's check it out here. Look, Boaz, he's setting the scene, right? Boaz sets the scene. He left Ruth in the, in the threshing floor. He, it's like early in the morning. He goes, listen, you go back to Naomi. I'm going to take care of this thing first thing in the morning. And so he puts on his cloak and he goes over here to the gate. Now, you're like, why would he go to the gate? At the gate is like the place where they do business, right? So this is like town square. The dudes would wake up, they do work, and there's, the elders are hanging out here. Because this is where everybody would pass through, right? This is like the hot spot. So, so the elders are standing here. People are walking around. And Boaz, you can just imagine him, like first thing in the morning, right? Like, the rooster crows. And he's sitting there. And he's like, all right, it's time to go to work. It's time to go to work. And then he sees the guy, right? 
that, everybody say that guy, right? He sees, he sees that guy come in and he stands up and he goes, my friend, here's a fun thing. And this is where like the Bible's hilarious. Do you know what his name is? It's team Boaz and team who? Doesn't say. You know, he, he calls him my friend, but you know what they're literally translating in the Hebrew there? Poloni Almoni. Poloni Almoni. I'm not making this up. That is literally the Hebrew. It's gibberish. Hey, Poloni Almoni. It's like the, it's the Hebrew equivalent of saying, hey, so-and-so. Hey, Joe Schmo. They don't even say his name in the Bible because what's about to happen, you wouldn't want your name written down there either. All right? So he's like, hey. And they like edit his name out of the Bible. Hey, Joe Schmo. And we're gonna, can we just call him Joe Schmo? He doesn't work in a button factory. Different Joe, right? So hey, Joe Schmo, come over here. And he calls him and he says, sit down. And so Joe sits down and then he goes and he grabs 10 elders. Hey, hey, elders, come here, come here. What are you doing? Hey, I just, I'm gonna do something here. And so he comes and he gets, the, the, he gets Joe Schmo, he gets the elders. They're all sitting here and they're like, why have you called me Boaz, all right? He's like, I will tell you in a moment, tell me. And so he's like, let me tell you. And he begins to tell Joe Schmo about a little situation. And the situation is kind of complicated. So I'm gonna do a little drawing. And so, and so Redeemer Man, also known as Joe Schmo, he's about to get an economics lesson from Boaz. And so this is what Boaz says. He goes, hey, you know Naomi, right? Naomi, <laughs> old lady Naomi, she's back. And uh, hey, you remember Naomi, right? Yeah, well, uh, and remember, everybody knew Naomi was here, right? I mean, this causes stir. So Naomi comes into town and she lives on a nice little parcel of land, but bad news, bad news, she has to sell it. Naomi doesn't have a job. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a nickel to her name. All she has is her little parcel of land. And so here's the crazy part, guys. And this is sad. I mean, like this happens in modern day stuff, modern day times, also known as today. Um, she has to sell the land to have some money. And so here's Naomi. And she has a title. Let's just say the title. And let's just use round numbers. Let's say the title for this land is worth $25, okay? That's a lot in ancient times. <laughs> they didn't have dollars. Um, and so she has to sell the land, and it's sad. Naomi has to sell her land so she has enough money to eat. But here's where it gets worse. Not only is she not gonna have land, it's gonna, she's losing it out of the family line. Remember, we, remember Brianna and I think it was Isaac, they got married several weeks ago and I taught you about how redeemers, not in real life, metaphorically speaking, and I told you how redeemers, they could redeem a situation. Well, here's, here's the sad part. If she sells her land to someone not in the family, her family will forever lose that land. Make sense? The land that has been in her family for generations, she now has to sell it. Her family will have no more. So hopefully there will be someone in the picture who's from her family, maybe a man from the clan, right? Who can buy it and keep it in the family. And this is Boaz. But there's a problem. Can Boaz buy this? Here's Naomi. Can Boaz buy it? No, because there's someone closer. So there's a redeemer who's closer in the picture, and this is Joe Schmo here, right? Joe Schmo, he has uh, two little niños, right? And uh, let's say that him and his niños, let's say he has $50. He has $50, and he has enough to buy the land. That's a five. Uh, maybe not. It was a backwards five and two combined. So Joe Schmo, he has 50 bucks, 
he hears that Naomi is selling it for 25 and he goes, oh, you know what? I'll be a good guy. I'll redeem you. No problem, right? Here's why he's kind of a phony. He, the, the title goes to him. He now has the title. It cost him 25 bucks. So how much does he have? He has 20, you guys, so good. 25, but what else does he have? Which is worth how much? So how much does he still really have? He has 50 bucks still. Oh, and wait, Naomi, she's kind of on her last leg. So when she dies, that money, where's that really gonna go anyway? He's gonna inherit that anyway because he's the next person in the family. And so he gets Naomi's inheritance. And so now how much does this guy really have? What a guy, huh? Man, look how selfless he is, huh? Wow, I'll redeem Naomi. She, I mean, she's just a poor, helpless lady. I'll step in, right? I'm Joe Schmo, and I'm gonna step in. And really, he's looking at this, and he's going, oh, yeah, you know, I'll redeem it, sure, why not? Here's why not. So now his children, when they die, they're gonna get, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> I'm just, I know the math, right, 36.5. And so he does this, and he's like, he's really putting his family in a good position here. And so, that's why Boaz can't redeem it. Boaz cannot step in and be Naomi's redeemer because there's somebody closer and now he says that he's gonna do it. And so I hope that that doesn't bum you guys out too much. I know you were hoping for team Boaz, but team Poloni Almoni over here, I mean, he's just, he's in charge. And so Boaz is sitting and he's like, oh, darn it, man, like, I wanted that. All right, well, I guess you got it. Oh, wait, one more thing. <laughs> one more thing. Verse five here. Let me, I, I, t I can't even believe I forgot this, Poloni Almoni. Silly me. Naomi, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure. Just let me just, a little detail here. Verse five. Um, I, I forgot to tell you this. Um, verse five. <laughs> the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Oh, wait, one more thing. One, one more thing. I totally forgot. Uh, I know you have two little ninos. Well, Naomi has a nina of her own, and uh, her name is Ruth. And so do you remember what a redeemer does? Do you remember what a redeemer does? A redeemer is responsible for carrying on the family line. So this guy, yes, he would get the 25. Yes, he would get the title, but he would also get Ruth and his responsibility would be to give, to, to give Ruth a niño, a little niño. And what happens when that niño grows up? He goes back to his family line. And now Naomi's family line, via the little Nino, gets, he now gets half of the inheritance. He gets the land. So this guy's back down, 25 bucks. He gets the land. He gets uh, Naomi's inheritance when she dies. This guy is back down to what now? 25. He's worse off than when he started. Oh, oh, Ruth. Oh, you know, what? I totally forgot. Oh, Boaz, you wanted me to redeem. I was, but I forgot this one little thing. Verse seven here. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself because I'll impair my own inheritance. You take my right of redemption yourself for can I, I cannot redeem it. You see how he changes his tone here? See, he goes, I was going to redeem it. But as a matter of fact, I got to look out for number one. And uh, I got little ninos to think of, right? I have to think of myself. And so he says, 
I will not redeem it. He gives up his right and he says, Boaz, it's on you, man. Have fun, right? You can be the redeemer. Everybody go, all of you that were in team Boaz, you got nervous for a second, right? You were like, oh, Poloni, Amoni. Oh, no, he did not. Yo, he didn't. Literally, he didn't do it. And you see here, you see, and it's like, we're kind, of, we're kind of crucifying this guy, but the text is meant to show you what kind of guy this is. And you look at him and you realize that people can be slow to help others if it's not helping themselves, right? Do you see, like, he's selfish. Do you get that? This was his responsibility. By God's design, he was next man up. And he's like, nah, I'd rather stay out of this play. People can be slow to help others if they can't help themselves. Is anybody surprised that he didn't do this? Are you, are you surprised that he's not doing the big deduction here? What time is this book written in? Time of the judges. What do people do in the time of the judges? Whatever they want, dude. They do whatever they want. And so we're not surprised to see him be selfish because friends, this is the same as it was back then. Whenever people live without God, they're gonna look out for number one, right? Whenever you have a society, whenever you have a group of people that are not living for God, they're going to look out for themselves and be selfish. Because if you don't have God, if you don't have the security of knowing that God is going to take care of you, if you don't have the security that says, hey, God's taking care of me, he has my back, then you're not free to put other people's needs before your own. You're not free to care for other people because you don't think that God has your back. And so here we go. People are slow to help others if they can't help themselves. Man, that guy's a bummer, huh? But our text then contrasts that. And he's not the only guy in the story, right? This is where Team Boaz comes in. As opposed to Joe Schmo, we see God's man. We see Boaz. And look at Boaz, the boss here, all right? Check this out. This guy's, he's a monster, I love Boaz, all right? So this guy bows out. He gives his responsibility to Boaz. And now let's continue. Let's look at verse seven. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. (laughs) I love the Bible. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. Can I borrow this? Thanks. All right. So he grabs. So it's like, they're about to go on, but like the narrator's like, so Polonia Moni says, redeem it. Boaz says, I will. Side note, back in the day, the way that they would like arrange, the way that they would like arrange a deal, the way they would arrange a deal, they would give each other a sandal. That's kind of brilliant, right? Like if I was going to make a deal with you and I shake your hand, Kennedy, shake my hand, right? I shake your hand. Later you come to me and you say, hey, we made a deal. I go, no, I didn't. You shook my hand. No, I didn't. Right? Hey, a deal? Shake on it? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. Like, you can deny that. Are you going to deny this? Right? It's like, hey, I, I, I made a deal with you, Summer. No, I didn't. I got your sandal, fool. Right? Oh, yeah, I forgot. Right? So, they, so, so anyway, this is just, I love the narrator. Side note. They're about to make a deal. He goes, Boaz, it's on you. And so he reaches down. He's like, Flip, and he grabs his sandal. Right? So here they are. They're holding the sandal. Can I borrow this? Thanks, dude. All right. Verse eight. So when the redeemer, when Poloni Almoni, when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses. Oh my gosh. He's a beast, right? Like 
you are all witnesses. I just, I hear his epic voice in my head, right? He's standing there. He's got 10 elders. He's got the redeemer. And you see a little, little swagger in his step and he stands up. You are all witnesses this day, right? I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So Boaz, he stands up here and he's letting everybody know his intention, right? He does this in public. God, Boaz is a beast. He does it in public. There's witnesses, right? He's doing the right thing in the right way. There's no shady business. Nobody could ever come to Boaz and go, did you really? I don't know. Was that, I mean, there was something kind of shady here, right? This guy can't come back three years from now and go, wait a minute. No, 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 wait, I, I want it. No, man, he's doing this in public. He's doing the right thing the right way. And he states before everybody his intentions. He says, I'm giving money to Naomi for her land. I'm going to marry Ruth. I'm going to give Naomi money for Ruth, right? Like a dowry. I'm going to do this thing the right way. And he states his intention. I'm doing this to perpetuate the name of the dead. Because of what Boaz was doing, the family line that was as good as dead, it's doing live and well again. Because of Boaz, these ladies whose situation was hopeless, they had no family. Do, do you remember the ashes week one, right? That's where they were. But because of Boaz, because of his act, because of his redemption, these ladies are alive and well. And there's beauty here. She's going to be a wife. He's vowing to give her ch- to Naomi give grandchildren and perpetuate the name. And so Boaz, he states his intention. And here's the cool thing. We see, we see that this guy was selfish and we're kind of like, man, that's a bummer, right? Don't be surprised. That's life without God. So in contrast to him though, we see here that God sent a man that reflected his mind. Do you see that? God sends a man that reflects his mind. God, the way that God thinks, the way that God feels, he has compassion on widows and orphans. Like, this is who God is. Like, I know it's a story, but this is actually meant to teach you theology, right? You guys can learn something about God by listening to this story. And we realize God cares for those who can't help themselves. God is full of compassion and love. He has not forgotten those. And so he sends a man who also has compassion on the situation. He sends a man who's full of love and who's willing to inconvenience himself for their situation. Have you ever heard this motto? How does it go? God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that motto, right? Ben Franklin made it, I think, popular, but he was quoting a poet from before him. And we say that all the time. God helps those who help themselves. I mean, just, just help yourself. Start doing it. Put some energy into it. And God will bless that. But really, friends, what we see here in the Bible, what we see all over scripture, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. This is God. Like when you see Boaz, he's reflecting the mind of God. God loves these people. God has compassion on those who can't help themselves. God has compassion on the orphan and on the widow and on the foreigner, the homeless person, the wanderer. That's who God is. And that's who Boaz is reflecting here. Let's keep going here. Look at verse 11. We're flying. Then... Boaz stands up. He gives his, ex, his epic speech. Hashtag witnesses, right? You are all witnesses. 
And then verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders, they said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. That's big time. We'll get there, right? Who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The elders and everybody standing around here, they approve of what Boaz is doing, right? And they start to make this crazy, crazy, crazy blessing. They start to, to bless Ruth and his, or Ruth, Boaz and his new wife, Ruth. And they say, we pray, we're praying God's blessing on you. We pray that you will have lots of babies. That's a blessing, right? We pray that you will be fruitful. We pray that your name will be great. We pray that you will be renowned. Basically like you would be famous, that you would be a big deal in this town because what you have done is worthy. May Ruth be blessed as the very women who birth a nation. We're talking about it on Sunday mornings right now with Genesis, you know, and how Sarah is gonna be a princess of nations and after her, Rachel and Leah. And so now they're praying, this is like, what can we relate to? They're praying this blessing. May you be as blessed as our very forefathers, foremothers, the ladies of Israel. And you're like, what's the big deal, Sam? Here's the big deal, friends. Who's Ruth? Ruth is standing here as like the maid, not the maid of honor, the woman of honor. They're blessing her. They're saying all these things. And there's one problem. Who's Ruth? Don't forget Ruth's origin story. Oh, look at Ruth. She's getting blessed in the square. Wow, sing the bells, right? Ring the bells and sing the songs. That's nice. No, who's Ruth? Don't forget her origin story. Ruth was a Moabite. She doesn't belong here. Ruth was a widow. She had nothing. Ruth was an outsider. She's not even supposed to be here. She doesn't deserve any of this, guys. She makes, her ascension makes Cinderella's look like getting passed from the second grade. Right? Like, wow, look how much Cinderella went like from nothing to whatever. No, man, Ruth went from nothing to something. And it all started because she came and she, gave, and she said about Yahweh, she goes, your God will be my God. We see that Ruth put her faith in God. Ruth had so much faith that she was willing to leave everything because she believed our equation from the second week that nothing plus God equals everything, Remember? And so she has this faith, she puts it in God, and now she has ended up in a place of tremendous blessing. And I just wonder how many of you young ladies, I wonder how many of you young men could have ever imagined where she's standing now being blessed when we were back here in the ashes. When Ruth was dressed in her widow's clothes, when she was dressed in all black and mourning and surrounded by death, could you have ever imagined that she'd end up in a place because she followed God there. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Let's keep going. Big story here. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. All right, cool. Uh, I thought there would be a lot more emotion there. And Ro <laughs> yeah, that's like, we should like, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, huh? Wait, what? 
we'll get there. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, check this out, ladies, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Aw, grandma, right? And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Okay, that's weird. Uh, when next time I have a child, I'm going to like ring the doorbell next door and say, hey, can you uh, name my child real quick? Um, but yeah, please, all the senior girls, no. Uh, and the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to who? Read it. A son has been born to? Wait, what? Wait. I don't believe the Bible anymore. It contradicts itself, obviously. Let's hang it up, right? No, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wait a minute, what's going on here? What plot twist? It was his mother. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 all right? No, don't, no. Bad, no. Here's what's going on here, right? God gives them a child, which is like, pause for a second. Pause for a second. We said right off the bat, as, as we were getting on this journey, as we were going into this book, we weren't gonna try to bail God out. When Naomi was sitting in ashes, when everything was going wrong with Ruth and, all, and people were dying and they were barren and there was no food, we weren't gonna try to bail God out and go, well, you know, he just like, I mean, bad things just happen. I mean, Naomi said, she goes, this is from the Lord's hand. And this is part of our understanding and our formation as disciples. We understand that in God's providence, things happen. And we don't always understand why, but today, which we're getting there, today is the kind of day that we get to see the kind of ending that we could have never imagined from the start. And so we're not gonna bail God out from the bad things, but then here's what happens in his sweet and his bitter providence. In his sweet and his bitter providence, it says that he gave them, he gave her a child. And then her neighbors congratulate. Who do they congratulate? Naomi, what is this about, guys? Wait, wait, I, wait. Did, you had a baby with who? He had a baby with Ruth. All right, let's get that out of the way. Let's clear up mis miscommunication here. But why are they congratulating Naomi? Why are they acting as if Naomi had a son? I've been telling you this for weeks. I've told you all along. This story is not about Ruth. Who's it about? It's about Naomi. I told you from the very beginning, this is Naomi's redemption story. It was, Naomi who's, who, it was Naomi's life in the very beginning that got burned up into ashes. It was Naomi's dreams that from the very beginning went up in smoke and she was sitting there saying, I no longer have family. I no longer have children. I no longer have the protection and the provision of a husband. This is Naomi's redemption story. And so the narrator, through the ladies in the story, they're reminding us, as soon as they see God's redemption through Boaz, through baby Obed, it's my next son's name, Obed. The B is actually silent, so it's Oed. But through baby Oed, they look at this and they see the bigger perspective and they say, God has not forgotten Naomi. God has been, has been sure to send a redeemer to Naomi. And this is where we see, guys, in our epic conclusion, God brings the story to an end. 
that we couldn't imagine at the start. God brings the story to an end that we couldn't even imagine at the start. And so weeks ago, we found ourselves here and we were sitting in ashes and we were sitting here covered in dirt and it hurt. And we stopped in the first five verses and we said, hey, we're gonna stop here. This is the prelude. These are ashes. And sometimes life feels like ashes. And sometimes we don't understand why, but God orchestrates things in our life and God allows things and we're sitting here and it hurts and we go, why would God do this? God, why? And like Naomi, we become bitter and we become full of pain. And we say, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because I'm bitter. I'm not full anymore. I'm empty and we're sitting here and we say, God, I can't imagine anything good coming from these circumstances. And what the Bible doesn't always give us is the why. The Bible doesn't always tell us why sometimes we're sitting in the ashes. The Bible doesn't always tell us why God allows such pain into our life, but this is what the Bible assures us. And this is the illustration we see today. That even when you're in the pain, even when you can't imagine what good could possibly come from this, you can be confident that God is working together all things for the good of those who love him. And one day, students, I say this with all my heart, one day, even though you're in pain, you'll come to a place in your life of such pleasure and, of, and you'll see the goodness and mercy of God. And only, for, and only in hindsight will you be able to look back and go, I could have never imagined being here, but you know what? I wouldn't have traded this journey for a million years. I could have never imagined being here at the start, but now that I'm at the end, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, who in his, in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty and providence has worked all things together for my good. And so Naomi, she was in the ashes and now we see her life is redeemed. We see beauty coming from it. Out of the ashes of her deepest pain has come the beauty of her wildest dreams. And we're sitting here at the end and we go, wow, how could that have happened? It's God. This is, the God, this is the sovereign God. Friends, this entire story, as we come to the end here, this entire story is magnifying. It's causing you as middle school and high school students, it's causing you to take your eyes off of things that don't matter. It's causing you to take your eyes off of people that will continue to hurt you. It's causing you to take your eyes and your affections off of temporary things and put your eyes on something that is infinitely better. It's calling you to take in the beauty of a God who makes beauty from ashes. This is who God is. You like this story? Wow, that's amazing. I could have never imagined that. That's who God is. He makes beauty from ashes. He redeemed Naomi. He redeemed Ruth. I mean, we can go on and on for weeks, maybe five weeks and call it a series. We can go on and on about Ruth. She was a Moabite. She didn't belong here. She was a foreigner widow and her story began in ashes and it was full of hopelessness, pain and death. And now at the end of the story, her story has become a story that produces the greatest king that God's people ever saw. Do you see that? Do you see the last part there? It gives this little genealogy and you're like, yay, baby Obed. Oh, by the way, he was the father of Jesse. The father of, wait for it, David. And you're like, wait a minute, why is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal? 
Why is that a big deal? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. Why is that a big deal? Because Ruth, her story began in ashes. Her story was flatlined. And then God redeemed it so much so that a story that started in ashes is now about to be part of the greatest, one of the greatest stories ever told in the Old Testament. The greatest king that God ever brought was David. And now for the rest of time, when you look up the family tree of David, when you read the story of David, who gets to be a part of that story? The one whose story started in ashes. God redeemed her story. Naomi, Ruth, they had no provision. They have provision. They have a husband. They had no safety. They have safety. They have a husband. They had no family. Naomi had no family. She now has a, a new son-in-law. She's gonna have, she has a grandchild. She now has family. Not only family, she has the honor. Remember, remember how we talked about how important it is to have a lineage that goes on and on? She now has that. Not only does she have that honor, but she happens to be the great, great, great grandmama of King Dave. I mean, this is, this is, rede- this is redemption. This is the kind of goods that we could have never imagined at the start. And so we see this kind of redemption. We see God turning the story around and friends, we love it. I made fun of the girls earlier because like, we love the story of Ruth, right? And it's like, we love it. And even the dudes are like, oh yeah, uh, are you gonna finish Ruth next week? I mean, from asking for a friend, right? We love the story. We see it's a, a beautiful story of the God who makes beauty from ashes. And here's why we love it. You ready? From the youngest middle schooler to the oldest person in the room to college students and parents. Here's why we love the story of Ruth. Because it's our story. Is it not? We hear a story about a foreigner who doesn't belong in the family of God. And it reminds us of ourselves who were born sinners and we're foreigners of the family of God. We don't belong in the family of God. We see in ourselves, we're reminded that we're born in sin. We're born addicted to our sin and to ourselves. And so just like Ruth, our story, every single one of us in this room, our story begins in pain and hopelessness and ultimately it leads to death. And just like Ruth, students, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Just like Ruth, if it's not for someone to step in and save us, we're toast. Unless God sends a redeemer, we're toast. And so again, this is our story in the same way that God sent a redeemer to redeem Naomi and Ruth and his name was Boaz. God sent a redeemer and he was actually Boaz's great, 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 great grandson. And he was another redeemer and his name was Jesus. And just like Boaz, he was a man of compassion, just like Boaz. He was a man that reflected the mind of God for those who couldn't help themselves. Just like Boaz, he looked with compassion on widows and orphans and those addicted to their sin. But here's where he's greater than Boaz. Here's the difference. Boaz inconvenienced himself for others. Jesus did more than inconvenience himself. He died. He went to the cross for your place. And then, oh, by the way, plot twist, he rose from the dead. (laughs) Like, People think Christianity is crazy and sometimes we want to be like, why do they think it's crazy? It's not that bad. It's kind of crazy. Like we believe that a man named Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And unless you start to like come to grips with that like core truth, you don't understand Christianity yet, right? 
greater than Boaz. He rose from the dead, proving to the entire world, yes, I'm a redeemer, yes, I'm a man, but more than that, I am God. I am the God who makes beauty from ashes. And Jesus' message is very simple. He gave it to his disciples who've given it to their disciples and it's come down to us. And Jesus is alive and his message is simply this, put your faith in the God who makes beauty from ashes. Jesus came as a redeemer and his message is this, put your faith in the God who makes beauty from ashes. You need redemption. And there's good news, friends. God has sent a redeemer. And my question for you tonight, I want you to examine your hearts. I want you to be honest with yourself. Assess where you're at. Have you, like Ruth, come to a spot where you can say, your God will be my God? Have you come to a spot where you've put your faith in God's redeemer and said, I want you to redeem my life. I want you to take a life that started in ashes and hopelessness and I want you to fill it with purpose. I wanna experience forgiveness and freedom from my sin. Maybe I even wanna give a year to go on mission and a life that was bent, a life that was destined to be self, selfish and, and, and all about me. I now wanna experience God redeeming that and freeing me to live a life that loves others and glorifies God. Have you put your faith, students, in the God who makes beauty from ashes? Ask yourself that. Have you gone public in your faith? Are you living for Jesus? And then if you are, here's the other thing, right? Like maybe you are living for Jesus and maybe you do live for God and you've experienced his redemption and you've gone public with baptism, but maybe right now you're here and you're sitting in the ashes and maybe this, maybe this is the message of Ruth for you. Maybe the message that God is speaking tonight, tonight is not a call to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe the message that he's speaking to you is to be comforted by the sovereignty of a God who makes beauty from these ashes. Maybe you're sitting in a spot in your life and you go, I have no idea what good could come from this. I have no idea. And I'm not gonna tell you, well, here's why he's doing that. I wouldn't, God forgive, I wouldn't even dare to presume what God has in his mind, but I can tell you this, he's good. And one day you'll come to a spot where you'll look back and you say, man, I could have never even imagined it, but I've learned I can trust the God who makes beauty from ashes.